Thank you, David. Thank you, Greg and the ladies of Icota. Uh, wonderful morning singing God's praise. Um, we're in a passage that I love, Galatians chapter 2, the end of that chapter. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about this chapter this week, obviously because I'm preaching it, but this was also the text that I used in um, when, when I came, and I don't even know what the word is, interviewed, auditioned, I don't know. Uh, but uh, when, I, when we came, before we came, when we interviewed with the search committee, um, we, it was on a Wednesday night. We flew in from Texas on Wednesday. Dennis and Susie picked us up at the airport. And then we drove out to Canyon City, and I preached this passage. And I wish I had a recording or my notes or something, because I think the content will be similar, but the rest of it's not going to be very similar at all. And uh, But many, several of you were at that service out in Canyon City where I preached, and Allison and I then, after we went to dinner, we were so tired and so goofy that we knew it was only God putting us here that the church committee said, let's bring them to interview, because we were, we were goofy and silly that night. But anyway, um, this is a passage that I love. Uh, I've used, I've preached, I've taught several times. Um, it's just powerful, and it's a picture of what God has done for us. As I was thinking about the kind of the setting of the scene that Paul does, we're, we, we look at, it's an interesting, Galatians 2 is really interesting. First of all, because you have the, the conflict that Paul brings up that he and Peter ran into in Antioch, where, sorry, <coughs> get a drink here, um, where they were dealing with this problem of the Judaizers. And that's actually a name that we apply to the people who were the ones who were saying that you had to become Jews in order to become a Christian. And again, I'm thankful that's not true for many reasons. But it is definitely foundational to the Christian faith that it is by grace and faith in Christ alone that we come before the Father. That is the only reason we can, that we, as it says in Hebrews 4, boldly come before the throne. And, and praise Him and bring our petitions to Him. And it's only because of what Christ has done in us and through us that He calls us to that place. But I think about all the things that are a part of this, and this is one of the interesting things about Galatians, is because it really deals with life and its context. Peter and Paul were at a disagreement. Paul stands up to him, speaks strongly back to this apostle to the, to the Jews as, as Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles and, and says, Peter, you're wrong. Well, what was he wrong about? It's because he was being two-faced. He was living one way before Gentiles and living another way when Jews showed up. He was saying, he was basically just being a hypocrite. And that's really what being two-faced is. And so when we, we come to this place, the, we see the humanity of the apostles. We see that they were not themselves perfect. And as you read Paul's writing, you see the way that he approaches things probably would not necessarily be the way that you would. He was very bold. He was very, in some ways, obnoxious about how he did that. And he opposes Peter, and he says he opposes him to his face. And through this conversation... All of a sudden, we get this foundational truth of Paul's theology of Jesus Christ. And we come out of this story into a moment of teaching. 
And I love it because it's really what life ends up being all about. We, we look at all these things that can happen in our lives and we, we wonder how it's going to work out together and we see that God draws us to truth even within our circumstances. And that there will be people that speak up and there will be people who make mistakes, but we are always to come back to the foundation, foundational truth that Jesus is our Lord. And so... Yeah, we, we hit these trials, we hit these challenges, we see all these different things coming up against us, but it always comes back to Jesus. And as I've said before, and I continue to say, and I've been told that it's, this is my sermon. You hear it every week. It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's all about Him. Our salvation is not about us. It's about bringing glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who loved us and gave Himself for us. So, Galatians chapter 2, 15 through 21 I love this passage. I'm going to sit in this passage. I'm not going a lot of other places today because there's just so much here. And it's one of those things that always comes back to my mind. I, I, I come back to some other things. It's kind of one that is, is a, in, in preaching terms or in speaking terms, and motivational speakers, which I am not one. But, you know, they, they talk about their sugar stick. What can they bring out that is what you know is going to be the truth? That's this could preach this passage anytime, any any place, because this is what it's all about. Galatians chapter 2, let's stand as we read verses 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Our Lord, you, you alone are worthy of our praise, and I thank you that we live by faith in you. Help us to realize that truth today even more, or maybe even for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was stating, he's coming out of this conversation with Peter, or Cephas as they call it. Um, he uses both names in this passage, which I find to be interesting. No, for no other fact that he uses two names for the same guy. But it says, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, we can't do two different things. We're either living all in for Jesus or we're not. And we walk by faith. And I've, I've come to a lot of different points in this. And I picture this as kind of a courtroom scene. I, and I'm going to date my, myself a little bit here. Some of you may think of a different kind of lo TV lawyer along the way. But as I've been looking at this scene and listening to how Paul presents this case, it makes me think of Matlock. And if I had had a light blue coat today, 
I might have done it. Some of you go, who's Matlock? Right? But uh, it's Andy Griffith, right? Not Sheriff Andy Taylor from the Andy Griffith Show, but Ben Matlock from the 80s. My parents, my mom watched television. She still watches television. And this was one of the shows. She loved Andy Griffith. And, and he, I mean, it was an enjoyable show back in the 80s when I was a kid. And it was must-see TV in our household. We watched Matlock. I didn't get a choice. If I wanted to be watching TV, that was what was on. And I, uh, I, I remember many times him going, Objection! Right? That's about all I can remember for quotes on that. Some of you watch much more serious lawyer shows like Law and Order or, or something else like that. I can tell you that in my house, we don't watch those things. Because I, I like to stay awake through the show. Anyway. All right. Some of you just get really mad at me. Anyway. Um, but when we see this courtroom scene, we must see evidence for one side or for the other. And, and what, what we find here is that Paul is presenting evidence for our justification through faith and that the law itself, which is interesting to talk about a lawyer, the law itself is rendered void. That's a challenging thing because as humans, whether or not we admit it, we really like the rules. And we really like the rules for everybody else. Right? When you start talking about following the rules yourself, it gets a little shady. Like, no, I, didn't, nah, I don't like that one. But that goes back to what we were just dealing with with Peter and Paul in their conversation. That sense of being two-faced, that hypocrisy, speaking out of both sides of your mouth, as it were. The fact is, is that we want to be able to prove that we are worthy. And honestly, a lot of that is foundational to the American way. That we worked for what we have. We didn't just inherit what we got, but we worked for what we have. And it, and it proves that we, are, we have made a difference in this world. And there's nothing wrong with that in itself. There's nothing wrong with doing good. But it can't save you. We will never be able to save ourselves. And that's really the point that Paul's coming to in this passage. We cannot save ourselves. We ourselves, verse 15, it says, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So that, sorry, my glasses keep falling down. It's about time for me to get new glasses because they keep doing that. So I'm going to try the microphone here to hold my glasses up. And otherwise, if you guys want to make a significant donation, because I'm very blind, I can get new glasses. Um, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We ourselves are Jews. Many of us, we can't say that, but we could say that we have been in church almost every Sunday of our lives. We know what's right and what's wrong because we have learned all the rules as they're supposed to be. We give, we come, we serve, we bring food to the potlucks, we show up and work in the summer projects, we, we trim the bushes, whatever it may be. But none of that saves us. We may try to prove ourselves worthy, but it, that measuring stick is always going to fall short. And that's a scriptural picture that you can go through into the prophets, particularly Amos, and see that the people never measure up to God's standard. 
Because when you're reaching for one thing, you're dropping something else. And so now we find Peter and Paul dealing with this issue. Paul says a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. How does that work? The fact is, is that Christ himself fulfilled the law. One of my favorite passages is a couple pages back. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we'll come back to that as we look at verses 20, verses 19 and 20. We find that Christ in his fulfillment does what we could not do. And in that, he was tempted far beyond what we ever were and overcame it. We see that our salvation comes alone in Christ. And that's what this passage is all about. If we have to return to the law to be saved, then Christ's work is worthless. We are either saved by faith or we're lost. It's one or the other. There's no gray area when it comes to this place. This term justification is a legal term that is a term of permanence. When we are justified in Christ, it is as our place has been changed permanently. Christ has taken the penalty that we deserve, and he will not endure it again. And once we trust him, our place is his place. That great exchange is something that I love that word, and this is one of the things I remember from that first sermon because I talked about it then. It's, it's my, one of my favorite theological words, imputing righteousness. To impute means to get it all up in you. That's the te- technical term. That's not it. I'm sure there's far more formal things. But it's not a word that we say, I'm, I'm going to impute this to you today, Mr. Laney. We're going to have this value here. I'm imputing my guitar to you because I don't think yours is any good. Name. Whatever. You know, yours is fine. I'm just kidding. It's okay. Don't cry. But, no, it's not something that we can do ourselves it's a it's a full exchange of our place christ took our sin at his death and that price is paid once and for all so then in him we have righteousness and we are justified it is a permanent place of salvation of placement before god as our king so when we come before him we come no longer as sinners but as those who are justified. The penalty has been paid. The works of the law will never save us, but Christ fulfills that law so that in Him, when we believe in Him, we are justified by faith. It says in verse 16, the end of verse 16, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We just can't do it. If we are really focusing on one thing in our lives to fix, chances are we're falling off on something else. We don't do it well. We cannot save ourselves. Christ saves us, lifts us to the point of righteousness in his faith, trusting in him. Verse 17, he brings a little more clarity in here with it. 
For if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a certain servant of sin? Certainly not. Okay? Because Christ fulfills the law, he renders the effect of sin to be void. He takes our sin on him and pays the penalty as only he can. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. We, you know, I, I run into this in yard work, right? You think you're fixing something and you've just made a big mess somewhere else and you've got to f- keep doing it. The more we try to fix something, the more problems we end up having. But Christ does it once and for all for eternity. For through the law, this is an a incredible passage here. For through the law, I died to the law. The law shows us our failings. Jesus takes it to the next level in the Sermon on the Mount when he says that if you even hate a person, you have committed murder against them. Or if you've lusted against, or lusted for someone you're not married to, you have committed adultery. Did you actually do that? No. But in your heart, it proves us to be a sinner. It shows our depravity. Let's look at a couple other spots here. Because when we talk about justification, we find that it, it's, it's very Pauline. It's very much out of Paul that we find this. But it's also at the start, we find that salvation has never come through the law. Ever. Romans chapter 7, a few pages back in your Bible. It might be on the screen if I got it right. Romans chapter 7, verse 10. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Alright? We find that sin is the source of our demise. The law we attempt to keep is the one that shows us our unrighteousness. For sin seizing opportunity, verse ten or verse eleven says, "Through the commandment deceived me, and through, through it killed me." So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. That holy commandment shows us our failing. We have to have something to prove that. That echoes in verse nineteen: For "Through the law I died to the law that I might live to God." Our salvation, though, never comes by our own work. It's always been by faith. Verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1 in Romans, right below where we're reading, it says, there is no, sorry, there's therefore, this is a, there's always a therefore is therefore a reason, right? Paul has built his theological argument throughout Romans to this point, talking about justification by faith alone. And if you read the Roman road of salvation, it's primarily before chapter 8. There's a couple after that. But we find that the wage of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's pretty inclusive right there. We're all sinners. Verse, chapter 8, verse 1, though, says this. In chapter Romans 8, oh my gosh, if you need a theological headache, it's a beautiful headache. It's lovely. It's so gorgeous, but your mind will be blown by what 
Paul gives us here. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is that? It's because of that exchange that Jesus made when he took our sin on the cross. He fulfilled the law and took the penalty of it with him. And it's always been about faith. We see, um, and this is not a verse that's in here, but Romans and Galatians are built strongly upon it. And we see it in, um, oh, now I'm getting all wound up and looking for things that didn't, didn't bookmark. All right, uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. I t- preached through Habakkuk a couple of years ago. The whole, no, two, four, three, two. Let me make sure I got the right spot here. Yeah, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. That is quoted by Paul in Romans and this theme in Galatians here. It's also, the theme is also found in the book of Hebrews. What do we, where do we build that from, though? We build that from Genesis. Go all the way back to the beginning, chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Now, if you have been a student of Genesis whatsoever, you realize that there are big clumps of Genesis there are about certain people. Beginning in chapter 12 through probably, well, let's see how far we're going to go in there. The next several chapters after that, we deal with this guy. Yeah, next 10 chapters following that, we see this guy named Abram, whose name is changed to Abraham. Well, along the way, he makes a covenant with God. The Lord actually makes a covenant with him. He says that you will be the father of many nations. And your, your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. His name up to that point was Abram, which meant exalted, exalted father. Abraham would be the father of many nations. Verse 6, it says, He believed the Lord, and he, that is the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. Righteousness, that is that standing, that justification before God, that legal transaction has always been by faith. Everything that we do falls short of that transaction. We can do things to try to achieve it and never make it there, and we can do things after that, point of faith where we believe in Christ, trust in him for our salvation, and it's just a small reflection of what has actually happened. We will never achieve this moment. It is something that can only be received as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. It comes by faith. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And the result of that is what we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The righteous then live by faith. Coming here back to Galatians now. I've, I stalled out in verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. In verse 20, here is where it all winds up. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in that moment of belief, that moment of faith, it becomes not about works, but about love. The reason we serve Christ is because of our love for him. And it's a re, it, again, it's a, just a small reflection of all that he has done for us. Being crucified with Christ, that there's several ways that's translated. The, the fact is, is that particular passage shows a completed work. When we trust Christ, our own passions and desires are placed on the cross. And so, you might see it translated, I am crucified with Christ, or I have been crucified with Christ. About 15 years ago, there was a little chorus that was popular. Uh, it went like this, and I get it stuck in my head with different words, and I'll come back to there. It says, you are merciful to me. And now the sirens are going to sing along with me. It's nice. You are merciful to me. You are merciful to me, my Lord. That was a little fast, but it's a simple little thing. And it, but with that little chorus, I actually get this passage rolled into it. I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ, my Lord. And I don't know that that will help you. I, I hope that's an earworm. You guys know what an earworm is? It's stuck in your ear and you think about that fact is, is that you are worth it. No matter how you beat yourself down, or how badly you think you've been treated, and it, it may be that you have been treated badly, and that you have done bad things. The fact is, Christ counts your life as worthy of his death. And our passions and desires are now placed on the cross with him. And he alone can bring life to what we have given to him. Again in Philippians, a few pages later, it says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. What does Jesus say that being a disciple is like? Is that it's one that would take up their cross daily and follow him. We must realize that once we have been purchased, we are called to be different. We are to live our lives with hope, to understand that God has counted us worthy of his salvation because of the sacrifice of his son. I can't do it. You can't do it. We do it alone. Because Christ has already done it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is a completed action that applies to every person who has ever trusted Christ as Savior. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Why do we live by faith in the Son of God? Because He loves us. He gave Himself for us. 
One of the commentators I read this week, his name was David C. George, says, the death of Christ is eloquent evidence. These guys are very smart. They use big words. That no lesser solution is adequate. Nothing less than his death could save. Nothing more than his death is necessary. Paul's statement that he didn't nullify the grace of God implied that the Judaizers did. There is nothing that you can do to make yourself more saved than you already are or save yourself. It is only by the completed work of Christ. And read that again. Nothing less than his death could save. Why? Because a pure and spotless offering was necessary for our forgiveness. Nothing more than his death is necessary. You can't do anything to save yourself. What is the proper response when we see that truth? Love and gratitude. And everything we do after that point, as as he says here, we live because he lives in us. And if it's his life at work in us, his resurrection at work in us, that means that the things we do matter. They matter because they bring glory to the king. Paul reminds them that the, the grace of God is, is so essential. I don't nullify or make void the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Does that make sense? If we could do it ourselves, follow all the rules, why did he have to come? fact is we couldn't so he did and he comes to impute that righteousness to empower us by his holy spirit that we might in this flesh this sinful dirty nasty flesh that we try to cover up with pretty clothing and and you know you can put a tie on you can put all your pretty makeup on but the fact is we are what we are we are sinners saved by grace And yes, we should offer God our best, realizing that it's only his life that saves us. His death saves us. His resurrection empowers us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you today, are you trying to do it yourself? The bad news and the good news is that you can't. Our hope is that Christ did it and that work is completed. But he calls us to trust him. And as long as we're trying to do it ourselves, if we've never placed our faith in Jesus Christ, it's never going to be a efficient, sufficient. Efficient. Probably not the right word, but It'd be very inefficient as well. You're wasting energy. This microphone. Ah. 
You're wasting your energy if you're trying to do it yourself. Salvation is by grace. That, that acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid the price for you. Will you receive the gift of salvation? I challenge you. I know that our verse for the month is another well-known verse, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If you have not, I, I, I memorized this verse while I was in seminary. If you have not memorized verses 19 and 20 of this chapter, spend some time. Let it dwell in your hearts. Realize that God loves you. He wants you to be with him forever. Will you trust him today? Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us. I pray that we come to a fresh realization of the crucified life at work in us. To lay down our preferences because of what you have done for us. To lay down our desires in light of what you have done in the gospel. I pray for the one who has yet to place their faith in you today, that you would give them the courage to receive the gift of salvation. To realize that all that they've tried to do up to this point doesn't measure up. But you have given us salvation. We just got to receive it. 